you good tidings of great joy. Oh, yes. Good tidings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Good Tidings radio broadcast. I am your radio pastor, Dr. David Pinkerton, and I am blessed and honored to be here today on the airwaves of WXAN Radio over the sun-drenched hills of Ava, Illinois. It is Saturday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, and we are glad to be with you this morning. Please contact a friend. Let someone know that the Good Tidings Radio broadcast is on, and we hope to be a blessing to you as a believer, and we hope to be an instrument to lead you to Christ if you're an unbeliever. And we'll ask God to open and understand, open everyone's understanding by the Holy Spirit to God's Word, to grow as a Christian and to become a Christian if you've not trusted Christ by faith and been born again. So we're honored to be here today. Well, can you believe we're in the month of September? And it seems like it's going by rather quickly. Today I'm going to continue in a second message of a series we started last week entitled, Don't Look Now, But Your Attitude is Showing. Last week we dealt with the attitude of unforgiveness. This week we're going to deal with the attitude of pride. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 12. Now, as you've heard me say repeatedly, I love to quote Jesus. And Jesus is speaking here in Matthew chapter number 23 and in verse number 12. And he says, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So let's get into this today. Don't look now. But your attitude is showing, and we're going to deal today with the attitude of pride. By way of introduction, Proverbs, Solomon, the wise man, he felt the same way as Jesus just taught us in our text. When he wrote in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. In our text of only 17 words, Jesus establishes the true relationship between pride and humility. The only direction from pride to go is down. The only direction from humility to go is up. Now think about that, believer. Proverbs 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Folks, it's not the outlook, but it's the uplook that makes the difference in the outcome of what God is going to do in your life. It's important that we understand attitude is absolutely one of the most important decisions we make each day. What attitude we're going to have. That's why I started this series, Don't Look Now, But Your Attitude Is Showing. And today we're dealing with part number two, the attitude of pride. So perhaps one of the most despicable spirits possessed by any Christian is the attitude of pride. Jesus condemned pride more than he did condemn lying, cheating, adultery, stealing, or any other sin that you can imagine or name. He condemned pride more than any of that. You see, folks, pride is a very 
insidious sin. Absolutely it is. Pride. It's the tendency to slip into the heart. It has, rather, a tendency to slip into the heart of truly the most of most religious people upon earth. Think about the Pharisees, the Pharisees who detested Jesus, who were not believers in Christ, saw Jesus, the miracles that he did, heard of his fame and reputation, and they were absolutely moved with wicked envy. But they're the most proud people, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, the Sadducees, but particularly the Pharisees. Pride is absolutely slipping into and has slipped into the heart of religious people. And I'm ashamed to say, when I use the word religion, I'm talking about organized religion. When I talk about believers, I'm talking about those who've put their faith in Jesus Christ and been born again of the Spirit through realizing they're a sinner, humbling themselves, coming to Christ, and believing that he died, like the Scripture says, shed his blood on the cross, was buried and resurrected the third day, and they come and call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and through a prayer of a repentant and a humble heart, ask Christ to be their personal Savior. That's a believer. So when I say Pharisees, I'm talking about people who don't know God, but they're yet their religion. And religious people are just overwhelmed with pride. The Pharisees themselves prided themselves in trying to keep the Ten Commandments or the Law of Moses. And they themselves had over 600 unwritten laws that they wanted people to live by, yet they wouldn't live by them themselves. And they were just, you know, in their mind, exceptional religious people. They could keep commandments. They could keep laws. And they knew how to dictate to you how you should live better than God could do himself or the Word of God himself or you yourself following the Word of God. Religion is a stain upon the world. People are dying lost and going to hell because they are religious. They have religion, but they don't have a relationship through being born again by faith in Jesus Christ. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. So my friend, if you're listening today and you have religion, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power of, you know about the Ten Commandments, you know about religious uh, facilities, uh, service times, you know about religious dogma, but you've never been born again through faith in Christ. When you die, you'll go to hell when you die. That's it. That's about as sound and about as solid and as truthful as the Bible is. You don't need religion, friend. People need a relationship with Jesus Christ through trusting him by faith to be their Savior. But religious people are steeped in pride. And the Pharisees thought that they were a cut above everybody else. Well, in in Jesus' day and in Jesus' speaking here, and you know I like to quote Jesus. I say that to you often. He's the greatest authority that ever walked on the face of the earth. Jesus said in Luke chapter number 18 and verse number 9, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, 
would not even would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Folks, people are proud of various things. Think about this. People are proud of of different things in different ways. Some people are proud of their humility. Imagine that. Some people are proud of their ignorance. I know several of those. Some people are proud of, oh, the sweet disposition they have. Ooh, always dripping with honey. Folks, you can be proud of anything, but God is telling us today that pride is absolutely abhorrent to the spirit-filled Christian life. Charles H. Spurgeon said, and I quote, Be not proud of place, race, space, or grace. End of quote. Come to think about it, folks, we have nothing to be proud of. We literally have nothing to boast about, friend. Everything that we have is given to us from God, our life, our eternal life once we've been born again, our health, the air that we breathe, the food that we consume, the water that we drink, the clothes we wear, everything. The Bible tells us in James chapter number 1 and verse number 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. In Malachi chapter number 3, And in verse number six, the scripture says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Someone observed that God never intended for us to pat ourselves on the back, because if he did, he would have made our hinges different. That's funny. Someone else said, Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. That's a good thought. You've met people like that, and so have I. They're so full of themselves because of pride. You know the most egregious story in the Bible and sin related to that story is related to pride? It's the story of Satan, remember, where he made five proud I wills, he said. If you go to Isaiah in the Old Testament, go to Isaiah and pull up chapter number 14, we're going to see the story there of Satan. This is the most egregious sin and story in the Bible, and it's about the devil, Satan himself. In Isaiah chapter number 14 and verse number 12, listen to what Satan himself said. Verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will, there's one, ascend into heaven. I will, there's two, exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will, there's three, sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse 14, I will, there's four, ascend above the heights of the clouds. And Number five, I will be like the Most High. That's what Satan said. 
He was the son of the morning, the most beautiful angel God had created. Now think about this. And pride infected his heart. He was filled with five I wills in that short passage of Scripture. And in verse 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. God said, No, you won't. Satan said, Yeah, I will. And God said, No, you won't. Listen to Jesus speaking again in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. You see, when Satan said, I will five times, God said, no, you won't. When God cast him and a third of the angels that, are, that followed him out that are now called demons, when he cast them out of heaven, Jesus said it happened quick. It was like lightning flashing. God said, you're gone. So think about this. God threw him out quickly. Now, there are two philosophies to which we can choose to govern our lives. Two philosophies. Number one, the philosophy of Satan. These two philosophies, both of them are summed up in two words. Number one, the philosophy of Satan. And the two words for Satan's philosophy, we just read them, I will. When you promote the attitude of I will, folks, you're headed for trouble. When you as a child of God, a born-again, blood-washed believer, Say, I will conduct the ministry this way. I will have my way in the business meeting. I will sing this particular song, whatever. If your philosophy is the I will philosophy, that's the devil's philosophy. It got the devil kicked out of heaven, and it got him in a lot of trouble, and he's headed to the lake of fire, and he knows it, and it'll get us in trouble also. Think about the problems that God has allowed to come into your life because we've adopted the attitude of pride and I will have my way. Instead of praying about a big decision, instead of praying about moving forward in something in ministry, instead of praying about where we should, whatever it may be, we charge forward without getting clear direction of the Holy Spirit and we determine to have our own will and lo and behold, we find ourselves in trouble. So the first philosophy that governs people's lives is the philosophy of Satan, and that is summed up in two words, I will. The second philosophy is the philosophy of Jesus. It's also summed up in two words, and the two words are thy will. Thy will. In the Garden of Eden at midnight, he, Jesus, with his disciples, a stone's throw away from him, he prayed three prayers that were basically the same. And every one of them, folks, were underladen with thy will be done. Thy will be done. That's Jesus' philosophy for governing our life. That's the attitude that God wants us to have. Folks, are you living in the I will or the thy will Christian life? Have you conducted your life, preacher? Have you conducted your life, Christian, which you basically don't check in on God anymore? You just kind of do what you want to do instead of checking with God? Is your philosophy, I will, or thy will, Lord? You see, and here's the problem. Pride is the heart of the matter. Pride. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 and verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, 
adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Verse 23, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the heart is the seat pool above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Folks, pride is causing this. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, Jesus said, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, pride is anti-God. Pride is anti-Christ. Pride is anti-Christian. The sin that keeps many people from trusting Christ and being born again is the sin of pride. The the sin that keeps people from hanging on in the pews during the invitation or when a soul winner is asking you to trust Christ as Savior is the sin of pride. The reason you don't read that gospel tract that's been handed to you is because of pride. Pride has sent more people to devil's hell for eternity and the lake of fire consequently than anything else. People like to trust in themselves. You know what? A man wrapped up in himself or a woman wrapped up in herself makes a mighty small package. And he or she who is in love with themselves has very little competition. Now, the question is this. How does pride affect you? Well, it affects us in a couple ways. Number one, pride causes people to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul said, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The egotist always is me deep, me deep in conversation. You know what an egotist is? The definition? This is a good one. It's a hypodermic that God allows a person to administer to themselves to deaden the pain of being a fool. That's what an egotist is and the definition of it. So how does pride affect you? Number one, it causes people to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Number two, pride causes strife and contention. Proverbs 13 and verse 10, only by pride cometh contention. In the home, that's contention in the home, contention in the marriage, contention with the spouse, contention with the grown children, contention at the family reunion, contention in the church, contention at the workplace, contention among friends. Because of pride, the proud person is often loud, argumentative, irritable, antisocial, and hostile. Are you that way? Are you filled with pride? Is the Holy Ghost speaking to your heart right now about your pride? In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, charity is not puffed up. Or in other words, godly love is not puffed up. When the Holy Ghost is living the fruit of the Spirit through us, love is manifest in our life, not pride and egotism. We're not proud. Love is not proud. Love is, love is conveying God through us to those around us. How does pride affect you? Number three, pride leads to vanity. The wise man, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes verses or chapter 1 verse 2, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And in Psalm chapter 24 verses 3 and 4, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? 
he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Webster gives a definition of vanity, and it says this. It's excessive pride in one's looks or achievements. Are you a proud person? Don't look now, friend, but your attitude is showing, and it's conveying the attitude of pride to those around you. Now, what does God think of pride? First of all, I submit to you, number one, God hates pride. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And in verse 17, he lists them. Number one, a proud look. Folks, God hates pride. Pride in me, pride in you. Satan uses us and manipulates us like puppets as Christians if we're following an attitude of pride. Yes, you can be confident in God. He's the only one that's trustworthy. We know that we can do all things through Christ, through Christ, not ourselves, through Christ, which strengtheneth us. But God hates pride. Are you filled with pride or the Holy Spirit? Now, what does God think of pride? Number one, he hates pride. Number two, I submit to you, God resists pride. He resists pride. The scripture says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. The word resist there means he he withdraws himself. You need him, you can't find him. He pulls back. What's that mean? He's resisting you and your approach to him and your prayers to him because of pride. You need God to intervene in your life. You need answers to prayer. You need blessings. Then you need to humble yourself and drop your pride. We're going to look at that in a second. But the two things that God does, he hates pride. And number two, he resists pride. What about number three? What else does God think of pride? Not only does he hate it, not only does he resist it, but the most important point of this message now, I want to share with you today, folks. Again, we're looking at a series of sermons that we started last week on Don't Look Now, But Your Attitude is Showing. Last week, we dealt with the attitude of unforgiveness. This week, we're dealing with the attitude of pride. And I have a couple more that I'll be sharing in the coming weeks, so make sure you're tuned in. But here's what this whole message has brought us down to. The solution that God has for pride. What is the cure for pride? Number one, simply, here it is, humility. Humility. Humility is the cure for pride. Now, if you've been saved and serving God for very long, you realize God doesn't raise spoiled children. He can humble you and I. He can cause circumstances to come into our life or within our loved one's lives or within our church or whatever it may be to humble us. So we can either do it ourselves or he can do it for us. I would prefer to do it myself, and I have had to on a number of occasions. Humbling ourselves, folks, is a definite and a deliberate act of our will. You see, God will not force you to be humble. He'll make you wish you did, but he won't force us to be. 
God never burglarizes our will. He gives us a free will to choose to do what we want to do. And then to get the blessings because of those decisions or the consequences because of those sinful decisions. And in James chapter 4 and verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. So, folks, the solution to everything we're doing, to go up, begins by going down, by being humble. You heard about the preacher. He got ready to preach a sermon, a young preacher. Uh, his pastor had asked him to come and preach, and the congregation was gathered to, to encourage him. He had studied, got a message together, and he went up into the rostrum and the pulpit, and he had such a proud look on his heart, on his face, and and overwhelming pride just oozing from him that he's got this thing. And he began to preach, and there was no anointing from the Holy Spirit on him. And he knew he began to struggle, and he was striking out, if you would. He was fumbling the ball, if you would, and he knew it during the message. And when he came down, after literally laying an egg, as we would say in the ministry, horrible message, got no ground whatsoever, no influence of God, the Spirit whatsoever. I know I've done that. I've preached those messages. He came down with his head tucked low, and he went to talk to the preacher later, and he said, Pastor, I prepared for that message, and nothing happened. What happened? And the pastor said, if you would have went up into the pulpit the way you came down out of the pulpit, then you would have been fine. Humility is the cure for pride. James 4 and verse 10 again, humble yourselves in the sight of God in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, what's the process of humbling ourselves? I'm glad you ask. You have questions? God has the answers in his word. Number one, the process of humbling ourselves? Admit that you need God's help. John 15 and verse 5, Without me, Jesus said, ye can do nothing. The second portion of processing of the process of humbling ourselves. Number two, confess the sin of pride as you would confess any other sin. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're talking about now the process of humbling ourselves. We, number one, admit that we need God's help. Number two, confess the sin of pride as you would any other sin. And number three, seek divine guidance. Psalm 32 and verse 8, I will instruct and teach thee in the way thou shalt go. I will guide thee with thine, with thine eye. So folks, don't look now, but your attitude is showing. So what is the conclusion of the whole matter, Pastor David? What does God have to say about it? Here it is. And don't miss this. If you will bend, or rather blend, your will into God's will, you will be on your way to becoming the humble servant of Jesus Christ that God wants you to be in your life. Are you going to live by the thy will philosophy as Jesus did? Or are you going to live by the I will philosophy of the devil? So don't look now, but your attitude is showing the attitude of pride. Confess it as sin, forsake it, Trust God, humble yourself, and watch God begin to revive and bless you afresh and new. Now, folks, this has been the Good Tidings radio broadcast. If you're not saved, nothing else in your life matters. Bow your head.
and from a humble heart, sincere. Follow me in this prayer to trust Christ as your Savior and be born again. Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. I'm trusting you and you alone to be my personal Savior and take me to heaven when I die. Amen. Now feel free to call me if you have questions. My number is 618-499-8761. If I can preach for you, fill in for you, encourage you, um, help with revivals, any special meetings, let me know. Because I am Dr. David Pinkerton, your radio pastor on the airways of WXAN Radio. Pray for WXAN Radio. Support it financially and prayerfully and tell the world about it as we preach the good tidings of great joy. And that is Jesus Christ, the Savior of all who will call upon him. And Jesus Christ, the coming King of kings and Lord of lords. Look up. He's coming again. Good tidings, everyone. God is with us. Oh, yeah.